Again, good morning. The, um, Psalm 136, that's where we're at uh, today. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a little off today. I got really dehydrated midweek, really dehydrated, um, and spent some little time in the ER, and I'm not quite 100% yet. And then I went on the bicycle ride last night, which was amazing, but now I'm feeling it a little today. Uh, I realized, too, I, I brought water, but I'd already brought myself water, so... And that's a risky move when you're going to be up here half an hour. Like, you don't want to drink. I'm rambling. I'll stop. Y'all, y'all just turned to Psalm 136 this morning. Uh, get it before your eyes. Uh, it is a beautiful psalm. And in, in Jewish tradition, <clears throat> this is called the great Hallel. Uh, and that last part, right, just means praise. The great praise. And, and you'll see why as we get into it. Uh, namely, though, that uh, we, we find in Psalm 136 one of the most precious promises in in all of the scriptures, and we don't just find it once, right, as if maybe you might miss it uh, if if it weren't repeated, but it shows up 26 times. There's only 26 verses, and so it shows up as the second half of every single uh, verse in the psalm, and it says, for his steadfast love endures forever, right, or as the NASB puts it for Bill, I know our one NASB user, right? His loving kindness is everlasting. Oh, two. Christy uses it too. Anyone else want to admit to the NASB? Three. All right. You're not alone. Uh, yeah, his, ever, his loving kindness is, is everlasting. And, and while I wouldn't encourage using the message as a, something to study God's word, uh, it is such a paraphrase. It, it does a fine job with the poetry. And, and the message I found was, found was interesting. It renders the line, his love never quits. Uh, now, the reason that I'm talking about this refrain that shows up 26 times before we actually read the passage is that I don't want, when we read it here in a moment, for you to gloss over and just hear it like gibberish, like it's nothing, like we tend to do with things that get repetitive in our life. Uh, it's not a throwaway line. It's not some repetitive filler uh, to be ignored or worse, to be bored with. It is actually communicating something, right? That phrase, steadfast love, that actually comes from a single word in the Hebrew. It's a word you're probably familiar with because I point it out to you almost every time we find it and it shows up in the Psalms all over the place. The word is hesed uh, and it means the favor that God shows to those with whom he is in covenant relationship with. It's, it's covenant love, if you will. It is this deep-rooted loyalty that God has for his people, right? Namely, Israel before the cross and, and all who trust in Jesus since the cross. Now, this psalm is, is answering a, a question, um, and, and the question is this, how do we know that God's steadfast love is, is forever? And, and the answer, right, is that thing that we're going to see 26 times in this verse, right, as it goes through this history of redemption. Let me show you all the ways that God has displayed his love for you uh, in, in redemptive history, uh, with each line proving that, right? And, and so by the end of our reading, the, the psalmist hopes that that your mind, our, our hearts, our, our minds, our lips will just be overflowing with grateful praise to the Lord for who he is and, and all that he's done for us, that we would just praise Yahweh, we'd praise God. Now, if you've looked at it, hopefully you have it in front of you, if you've looked at it, you notice there is a distinct liturgical flavor, flavor to it, right? Uh, and, and it's most likely because it was intended originally to be sung, where, where the priest in the temple or, or outside the temple uh, would would sing this, the first line, and then either the congregation or the choir would sing the second line. And I emailed our choir, and they never got back to me because we don't have one. Uh, so that's not an option for us. 
And so at the risk of making this really awkward, uh, I would like us to try that today. Not the singing part, okay? I'm not going to ask you to sing. I'm not going to make you listen to me sing. Those of you who have been close to me at times, you know why. Uh, but this psalm, I, I want to do it where I'm going to read the first line, and then you're going to say the second line. And even if you're working with the NASB, you can probably memorize this real quick. Uh, For his steadfast love endures forever. Sound good? Um, so let's, let's do that. Beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 36. I'll read the first line, you read the second, and we, we keep repeating that pattern. Don't stop after the second one. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who, who alone does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two. And made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings and killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and gave their land as a, as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembers us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. The grass withers and the flower fades. You all did that awesome. Let's pray. Lord, in your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And yet if we are honest, we work harder at our careers, harder at our education, our hobbies, and our homes, and so much more than we work at knowing you, at worshiping you, at being grateful, or, or even learning how deeply you indeed love us. Father, open our hearts this morning to understand this psalm. Teach us to be so filled with the knowledge of your enduring love that, that it overflows from within us in, in thanksgiving to you and praise to you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. 
So our psalm begins with that one line, right? By calling us to give thanks to the Lord. That's the major theme of this. Give thanks to the Lord. And, and why exactly are you to give thanks to the Lord? Well, because He is good. It's pretty simple, right? But the, but the bottom line is this. Do you believe that God is good? And I'm honestly asking that. I know you know the right answer. Like, yes, he is good. We know that. I just read that in Scripture, right? But I'm asking you because if we're honest, we're kind of this, this generation, all of us, whatever generation you are, boomer, millennial, iPhone, I don't know what they're all called, right? Whatever it is, right? But, but, but we're all this generational mindset that where we are so keen that we can find what's deficient in any situation, what's wrong in our view, and, you know, what can be complained about. That's the way we tend to go. We... We, we have our hearts bent on dissatisfaction, it seems. And, and it makes sense, right? The whole culture is kind of built that way. We, we can rate everything. Our, our president has a, uh, an approval rating, right, to be looked at. We, we can render our, our Uber driver one star simply because we don't like his taste in music. Digital mobs can cancel people just because of misspoken words. Uh, you know, spend five minutes on any social media platform and you will find yourself drowning in, in the bitter resentment of an entitled masses. But more to the point, right, if we stop looking outward and look inward, we, we know our own hearts. We, we know how prone we are to, to complain, to, to find what's wrong, right? How often do you, do you wonder why God permitted some terrible thing to happen to you versus thanking God for the good he has ordained in your life? Right? You put that on a scale. What, what does that actually look like in your life? And, and I, I point this out so that, so that you and I, right, you and I, we, we need to hear the psalmist when he says here um, that, that we are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. To remember, like truly remember that God is good. Char Charles Spurgeon expressed this goodness of God like this. He always does it kind of wonderfully here. He says, he, he is good beyond all others. Indeed, he alone is good in the highest sense. He is the source of good, the good of all good, the sustainer of good, the perfecter of good, the rewarder of good. For this, he deserves the constant gratitude of his people. <clears throat> because he is good. The next two verses, <clears throat> we are told to give thanks to the God of gods and to the Lord of lords. Uh, these are superlatives, right? They're kind of like uh, what high schools sometimes give out in your, your senior year, right? The most likely to be president or the most athletic or the biggest flirt or class clown or, or those kind of things. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's what's happening here. This is not affirming uh, polytheism. He's not saying that, uh, you know, there's other gods as, as if like depicted in Roman or, or Greek mythology, right? The, the psalmist isn't declaring, you know what? God is more God than Zeus. That's not the statement going on here because, well, Zeus doesn't even exist, right? Uh, but rather, there are people who worship false gods, who, who, view God, who have these ideas of false gods, and, and God is the greatest of any false god. God is the greatest of any lord, any authority that might be over you. He is the best of the best, the superior over all beings, imagined or real. And these superlatives come from Deuteronomy 10.17, where, where Moses is, is, is speaking, and he says, the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. Now, that's where those words originate, right? And we, we hear an echo of them. And in Revelation 19, 16, 
<clears throat> there where there's this anticipation of the return of, of Christ, of the Lord, that, that glorious event that we so long for, right? And it says this, it says, He has a name written on his robe and on his right thigh, or on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none higher than the Lord, none. And, and one thing we, we learn in, in these three verses is, is that solid theology is good, but it's not an end in itself. In other words, it is not enough to simply affirm orthodox views of God, but rather our sound theology must be turned into active praise to the Lord. That's where it should lead us, to, to praise the Lord, to thank the Lord, right? For, for dead orthodoxy is, is not a living faith. Now, the second stanza begins in verse 4. You can probably see it if you've got your Bible out. You'll notice uh, most, most of your Bibles will leave a little gap. It's just a little bit. You can kind of see the natural division uh, of the lines there if you've never noticed that before. <clears throat> so it begins in verse 4, and, and he declares that it's God alone who does great wonders. And now each of the next four stanzas described in, in, in details or specific details of the great wonders that God does, right, within a specific category. Now, these verses, 4 through 9, are declaring the wonders of God in regard to creation, him making the world, right? In these verses, we learn that God's steadfast love to us is, is seen, here's the proof of it, in the awe-inspiring creation of the heavens, right? These words probably sound incredibly familiar to you, Genesis 1.16, where we learn that God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the nights and the stars. You, you see the sun and, and the stars and the moon and all the planets in the universe. These, these, these are not random. It's not just, woo, what happened? Look at that. Right? It's, it's, it's God who made these inspiring wonders as, as a display of his love for us. And, and we have only barely begun to discover just the wonders of, of, of what's out there, right? The Hubble telescope, most of my life has been amazing, and now we got the Webb telescope that's sending, sending these astonishing images back of God's cosmic creation. Why? So we can see his might, his power, his glory, his, just the wonders that he has done in his enduring love for us. And so the psalmist begins by confessing God's goodness is, is seen in creation. This, this is also where the Apostles' Creed begins. You remember, we recited it earlier in the, in the worship service this morning, right? You remember, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God has, has been so good to us, he has been so good to you in creating the world, you probably don't think about this because again we tend to look at what's going wrong with the world all the time right but he's been so good to us in creating your soul and your body and and placing you within this creation where where, where we can enjoy the creation with with grateful hearts do, do you hear this is, is it is it getting through to you right that that you should delight in the world that God has created this wonderful spectacle it's right for you to enjoy the beauty of a sunset do you know that you know, it's, it's right for you to just to gladly bask in the warm summer air of, upon your skin, right? Especially when you, you've just finished swimming in this wonder that we call water, which would just blow your mind if you hadn't seen it every day of your life, right? Just water. It's right for you to delight in, in the taste of a, a juicy, ripe peach about this time of year or, or to just be thrilled and amazed by the complex flavors when that peach is made in the peach salsa, if you haven't done that, I highly encourage you to do so. 
It's right to relish in the embrace of a dear friend or a passionate kiss from a spouse. It's, if you're not delighting in all that God has created and gratefully praising God for it all, you're doing it wrong to the detriment of praise God deserves and, and to the detriment of your own heart to, to get to experience that thankfulness to the Lord. Do, do not neglect to see the, in the creation how God has displayed his steadfast love for you. The, the third stanza consists of verses 10 through 16. <clears throat> and here the great wonders that the psalmist directs God's people to, to thank the Lord for are events in, in the exodus in Egypt. Right? So you, 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 near the beginning of the book of Exodus, and, and in chapter 3, verse 20, the Lord says, <clears throat> tells them what he's going to do, right? I'm going to stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I, will do, uh, uh, that I will do in it. After that, Pharaoh will let you go. In each of the verses that come after that, they're telling the story of the Exodus, which most of you probably know, some of you don't know, right? A real short version is there, the, the Israelites are there and they're enslaved by the Egyptians and God is delivering them and uh, beginning with these plagues. And the first one that's mentioned here is the, um, the, the last plague where God sent an angel of death, which would, would take the life of the eldest son of the household, unless there had been a, a, a lamb, a sacrificial Passover lamb that was sacrificed and the blood was smeared on the door. And you're thinking, that's really weird. Uh, and you're right in a lot of ways. Uh, but then the psalmist explains right after that, the Israelites take off. They are speedily journeying towards their homeland and they find themselves at a dead end because they've run into the ocean, or the Red Sea, rather. And, and here comes Pharaoh, who's furious, chasing after them. And, and when all hope seems lost uh, at, at this dead end of the Red Sea, the Lord miraculously spreads the sea. And they're able to walk through on, on dry land. The Jews are able to cross. And then he brings the water crashing down on the Egyptians. And, and this is divine judgment, Right? If you zone out because you're like, I've heard that story a million times in my life, come back, right? Because this is divine judgment on the Egyptians at this point, but it's simultaneously at the same time, right? It's redundant, right? It's an act of divine redemption for his covenant people. And the whole point is all of this is, is evidence of God's enduring love for you, his steadfast love for his people. And then we see Israel's time in the wilderness. It's summarized with just one line rare, right? Uh, 16, to him who led his people through the wilderness. C clearly the psalmist is, is, there's so much complaining there by the Jews, right, in the wilderness. And, and he's like, let's just focus on, not on the up and the down experience, not on the, the ungrateful grumbling of the Jews, but instead let's just focus on the simple leading that God gave his people. And, and he's referencing the specific miracle recorded in Exodus 13, 21, where we read this. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. This is the world's first GPS navigational system, right? Real simple. You follow the fire, uh, you follow the cloud. Uh, and it didn't take long for them to input into their little God's Map app, right? Is there a place on the route we can get some meat? Uh, and then they go back to grumbling, but I'm kidding about that. So that's really what he's looking at. God's actually guiding them in the wilderness. Now, in the, in the fourth stanza, which is verses 17 through 22, again, you can see a little gap there, uh, the psalmist continues his tour of redemptive history by gratefully acknowledging God's gift of a, of a land by conquest of, of the enemies who are there. Some of this is general. You, you see it there right at the beginning. Great kings and mighty kings. That's who God has has, has removed, has killed for them, right? Uh, and then it gets really specific. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and in verse 19, th this is Israel's 
first victory for this next generation, right? It's a whole different generation of Jews who, who exit the wilderness and go in, into the promised land. Uh, and, and this is the first, genera- first uh, victory they experienced, and it, it was kind of expected. Uh, Israel's traveling, and they need to go through the, the, the land here of King Sihon. Uh, and they say basically, hey, can we just peacefully get through here? We're on our way. We, we don't mean any trouble for you. We're just going to pass through. And Sion decides he's going to flex right at that moment. And he says something like, none shall pass. Uh, and, and, and he gathers his army and he goes after Israel because he's not going to let them come through. And they're, they're easily defeated. The Lord gives them this victory. And, and this stanza then ends, right, by acknowledging that it's God who gave the land as a heritage to his people. And thus, this is another historical example of God's steadfast love for his people uh, by giving them the land, by giving them victory over these, these nations that oppose them. And, and then the final stanza, <clears throat> verses 23 to 25, and we'll deal with 26 afterwards, but <clears throat> are more generalized uh, at the time would be current events for them, right? The, the Lord has continued his steadfast love uh, towards his people here. In, in verse 23, we learn that God has remembered them in their low estate. You, you know that the love of God is, is always needed. We always need to know that, but it is particularly precious in low times. Uh, maybe this is when you're in a time of, of suffering. Maybe it's uh, when you're in a time of shame or humiliation, right? To know the love of God for us in these low times. Now, that, that line in verse 25 is kind of curious, referring to God as he who gives food to all flesh. As in not just Israel, not, not just his covenant people here, it spreads out a little wider. Uh, God provides even food, even for those that forgot that he existed, or, or who have actively rebelled against him. What, why does God do this? Why does he do it? Because he is good. That's why he does it. That's the part we forget too often, because he is good, right? As, as our Lord Jesus says in Matthew 5, 45, for, for God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. You remember Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's preaching in the, in the city of Lystra and, and to these unbelieving Jews, and, and one of the things he says to them in Acts 14, 17, he says, for God did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And he's telling these unbelievers that, that that's God who did that, God who is good who did that. And his whole point in, in both of those statements, Jesus and Paul's statement here is the same, that, that God has been good even to those who refuse to acknowledge God. God has been good even to those who have rebelled against him in, in, in many ways, right? And, and the reason, and, and, and that goodness, he's saying that's a reason that you should repent and seek God. <clears throat> he's been good to you. And so then we have just one verse left. And before we read that, I, I, I want to read what I, what I believe is a beautiful summary of this uh, song by Michael Wilcock, and then we'll finish with 26. Uh, but he says this. He says, From the beginning of creation to the climax of redemption, from the first making of the heavens to the final inheritance of the saints, all is to be seen against the background of the love of God. That love is both indestructible, because it is covenant love, and boundless because it endures forever. As you look around at all that he has made and follow through all that he has done, at every point the psalm is saying, covenant love did this. All these good things that the Lord has done. Covenant love has done this. Now, now let's finish it up with, with verse 26, right? The final verse. Um, 
it's a clear application. If you're ever wondering, like, what is the application of this? Um, <clears throat> what is God teaching you in Psalm 136, right? There it is. Give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Now that phrase, God of heaven, this is one of the few places in scriptures that we, we see that phrase. In fact, it's the only place in the entire Psalms that that phrase, God of heaven, shows up. And that might surprise you. Now, uh, one of the other places it does show up, uh, any of you remember? Oh, nobody. Okay. Nehemiah, right at the very beginning of Nehemiah. We were looking at it a couple months ago. Um, maybe you remember now, as I mentioned it, right? This phrase it is there in, in, in Nehemiah's early prayer. And, and the phrase is emphasizing God's absolute sovereignty as the creator and the ruler over all people and events. Not, not just his covenant people, not just Israel, not just for us in the life of the church, right? It, he, he works differently for us, but, but he is sovereign over all things. There, there is not one thing outside of the lordship of God. And as, as Abraham Kuyper so famously put it, right, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And the love of our, our sovereign God is <clears throat> it's for us. The only truly sovereign is, is for you. If your faith is in Christ, right? Christian, God's love towards you is for you. As, as Romans 8.38 declares, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is ours. If your faith is in Jesus, you are indelibly, that means unremovably, united to Jesus forever, united to the Lord forever. And again, the proper response to all this that God does for you is to be thankful to him. That pours out of us in praise to the Lord. <clears throat> so let me just ask you, right? I mean, child of God, Christians, when was the last time you spent some time just rejoicing in your gospel privileges? Just to narrow it down for a minute. Rejoicing in the forgiveness of your sins and the security of eternal life with Jesus. Re rejoicing in the comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit that he dwells within you powerfully. That he's given you a covenant family to walk through life alongside, to walk with. There's a, a quote uh, along these lines by Joe Rigney that I, I love. He says, There are two great sins at work in the world and in human hearts. Idolatry and ingratitude. We refuse to honor God as God, first. And we, refu we refuse to say thank you for the abundance of goodness and kindness that he lavishes on us. When was the last time you, you just started naming all the things you have to be grateful to the Lord for? <clears throat> For parents, for, for children, for friends and, and neighbors, for, for health, or at least whatever good health you do have. For, for seasons of the, the year that promise to bring cool weather, right? Or in the winter that promises to, to bring warm weather later, right? For, for spicy street tacos. Did it ever occur to you, right, that, that food doesn't actually have to have all these variety of flavors? It could all just be like the matrix mush stuff. 
It doesn't have to have anything. And, and, and you don't have to have a tongue that's equipped to actually translate whatever you stick in your mouth and, into some amazing flavor, some, some pleasure to be experienced. Are you grateful for that? You get to experience the joys of food. And we're usually like just... All right, uh, thanking the Lord for, for <clears throat> engaging works of fiction and arts and mesmerizing musical arrangements and ears to actually hear the music. I know there's exceptions to these, right? But you thank the Lord that you have them. And of course, the, the steadfast love of God is, is seen and experienced best in, in a person, in, in, in the word of you know, that is spoken of in John 1, which, of course, we mean the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Philippians 2 ascribes to the Lord uh, complete lordship to Jesus, right? John 1, we, we learn that Jesus is the creator of all. It's made through him. Romans 3 informs us that Christ is the one who redeems us. Colossians 1.15, he is called the image of the invisible God. And, and there we also learn that Jesus sustains us. Jesus sustains you. It's why you're sitting here breathing right now. Because Jesus sustains you. He, he is worthy of unfading gratitude. And so the one, one last thing of, of application here, Psalm 136 makes this fantastic model. It, it is, when we talk about like praying scripture, you can just pray through it like it is, but it also can be a form for, for our prayers. For, for instance, to go further into redemptive history, by, by which I mean, right, Psalm 136 is, uh, is ending there at the, at the, the promised land. Um, but we know that it, it all comes to fruition in, in, in the Lord and the cross, right? To, to use the words of the Apostles' Creed that we said earlier, right? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. His steadfast love endures forever. He was born of the Virgin Mary. His steadfast love endures forever. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. His steadfast love endures forever. These are all examples, Right? of the steadfast love of the Lord, right? The third day he rose again from the dead. He, his steadfast love endures forever. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is evidence that his steadfast love endures forever. Or you could mix in God's goodness, right? To, to us as a church, to, to Manhattan prayers, right? The, the Lord has sustained our covenant community even when the evil ones sought to divide. His steadfast love endures forever. God has faithfully provided us a place to worship in for nine years. His steadfast love endures forever. Or you could mix in all sorts of personal things that you've experienced you know, in your own life, the goodness of God uh, to you, right? The, the Holy Spirit has given me faith to believe the gospel. Ah, His steadfast love endures forever. Yahweh has provided me Christian community in the midst of this secular culture, right? His steadfast love endures forever. The, the Lord has provided a, a job or, or given healing or hope or, or, or however, right? His steadfast love endures forever. And so let me ask you this. How many ways could you finish that? How many ways could you extend that? That's what I want you to find out this week. Too, too often we sit and we listen to teaching or preaching and we say, oh, that was good, or that wasn't good. And we walk out, and that's the end of it. I, I want you to do some homework here, to actually take the time and, and to write this out, to use this form where you take some time to thank the Lord this week. 
And, and write that out, right? You can each line, right? His steadfast love endures forever. This is proof. This is showing me how his steadfast love. And it can be things you are learning from Scripture, things that you have experienced in your life that the Lord has done for you. Maybe, maybe never, ever. I, I really want you to do that, okay? I write it down, and, I, and I'd love to see it. If some of you are willing to send it to me, I'd love to see how the Lord's steadfast love is enduring in your life. And, and may we never forget all that God has done for us in redemption in life. May we never forget that the love of our God is faithful. His love is steadfast. His love is enduring. His love is never ending, never quitting. His love is forever. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, your steadfast love endures forever. But mine, Lord, mine ebbs, mine flows. Mine is at times hot and too often it is cool. Holy Spirit, make this psalm work in our hearts. May it instill the, the truth of your love deep down into our hearts so that, so that we believe not only on our best days, but also on our worst days, that you indeed love us. And so that my heart is, is kindled to worship you, and so that we are moved to, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to love our neighbors, and to love our enemies. Father, may, may our hearts be drawn not just to so many of the negative things in the world. They're there, Lord. We're not going to pretend they're not, but Help us to have eyes to see your goodness and for that to be translated into genuine, heartfelt, joyful praise to you who have given it, who have caused it. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.